Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad alongside my two favorite teammates on the U.S. Men's National Team, but I have to say that because I'm sharing the screen with them. It's Hollywood Heath Pierce and Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, and I really mean that. And on today's show, we're going to do some real talk about heading in the beautiful game and the very real negative side effects that come from these repetitive collisions of the brain and what the sport can do to potentially minimize that risk moving forward. And then we're going to pivot and talk about Tyler Adams' move to the Premier League with Leeds United states of america and raheem sterling's move from manchester city to chelsea and what that means for christian pulisic's future since they play the same position and of course our wildly successful u20 national team who just qualified for the olympics but first i have to tell you we are a nominee for the best sports podcast category the people choice podcast awards which is incredible and a testament to all of your support so we really appreciate everything that you do for us in fact we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round there's a little bit of work for everyone to do including me heath and Charlie. So to nominate in Soccer We Trust, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category. The whole process takes less than 60 seconds. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. And now I am done talking and I am out of breath. Charlie, how are you, my friend? Great to see you as always. Uh, everything is great. I mean, summer, New England, can't complain. Let, let's go. And, and just this buildup, the hype is real. With the World Cup, Tyler Adams gets a big move to the yeah. Prem. Like, let's get going. Let's get going. And if you can't see Charlie right now, he is wearing one hell of a shirt. It is purple with yellow flowers. As a Los Angeles Lakers fan, I agree with that color combination. <laughs> Shout out to the Celtics who can't win in the final. <laughs> Hollywood Heath Pierce, how are you doing, my friend? I was good until I realized that Charlie's obviously – at a sleepover right now in his pajamas <laughs> and i was not uh, invited to that which is a little disappointing to me knowing that you know this is that time of day where, where you get out the uh you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and we're gonna really get after it but charlie seems to be part of a an exclusive club um so i'm a little disappointed but i'm excited to chat today it's been a while i am too i it has been a while because we we shot the july 4th episode on monday last week so we haven't really been around each other for six days and i felt like we all had some withdrawals hopefully you're feeling the same way but we're back at it today and tomorrow and of course moving forward three times a week as always now let's get into the real talk side of this in the light of the news of former u.s youth international and mls player scott vermilion 
who has been found to have had CTE. He passed away a couple of years ago due to alcohol and drug poisoning. It's on. He's the first MLS player to have received CTE, which is a chronic neurodegenerative disease in the brain, commonly understood as dementia overall. Now, there is an increasingly large body of evidence which has identified that these small repetitive collisions of the brain inside the skull cause this disease. And the Scott Vermillion News is incredibly eye-opening for me personally. Not only, and I give, give some context to everybody, I retired due to concussions at age 34. And I had a really bad one with the U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup quarterfinals against Panama in Philadelphia in 2009, where I got knocked out. I had 20 minutes of post-impact amnesia. I woke up in the ambulance and only could see out of the bottom half of my left eye. And at that point, you're like, what the hell happens? And you're trying to figure it all out and you're trying to remember. And now it's like a kind of a race with your brain to like, okay, how severe is this? I also broke my thumb because I went limp. So when I fell, I, I, I got hit twice. Ultimately, I got hit on the side of my, my temple from a guy jumping up and into my head after I'd already headed the ball. And then when I went limp, I hit my thumb and I hit my face again. So it was a pretty bad hit. And I don't think I ever really recovered for it. We can get into more of the details before, but this is pretty scary news for me in particular. If I played against Scott Vermillion in the national championship game, when my UCLA Bruins flex of the day beat Virginia in the final. And then I played against him in MLS as well. He's around my age. He'd be 44 right now. I'm 45. So it's, it's incredibly scary for me. And not only that, before I actually get your guys' thoughts about your on this, let's hear from Bruce Murray, who is a former U.S. men's national team player. He played for the U.S. from 1988 to 1995. He scored in the 1990 World Cup, obviously a big World Cup for us because that was the first time we had qualified in 40 years. And now he is experiencing some dementia and CTE symptoms, even though he's still alive. Let's hear what he had to say about it. Forward for Team USA. It's the greatest feeling to be able to travel the world and do what we did. Murray, nice run by Bruce. But it's As he moved into professional soccer, Murray continued his reputation for being fearless. His aggressive play sometimes left him seeing stars. How did those concussions generally happen? Well, I was playing for the U.S. in Saudi Arabia, and one of the Saudi players came right through, and his knee uh, caught me in the head. I was on my hands and knees trying to find where my equilibrium was. But for the next six weeks to a month, I, I would go places and not know why I was there. Back then, they would just say, you got your bell rung. Yeah. Right? You, you heard that expression? Oh, yeah, yeah. Get back out there. Be tough. Murray stayed tough through multiple concussions and collisions. He retired in 1995 at age 29. So, obviously, with the news of Scott Vermillion and then hearing here from Bruce Murray, he says he was diagnosed with at least four concussions in his playing days, though he went on to add that he probably would have had a whole bunch more if the technology and the identification of concussions was as advanced back then as it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie, you got coached by Bruce Murray. You know, Tell yes. us a little bit about him and, and uh, his influence on you. Well, I was fortunate that when... I came to around 14 years old, uh, John Kerr, uh, who played for the U.S. and played for the Revolution, ended up being my club coach because he was coaching Harvard. And in, in the, the free time that he had, he coached my club, which was the Greater Boston Bolts, uh, Eagles at the time. It's trans transitioned to the Bolts. And then when he went uh, up, up in age, then I had uh, Paul Mariner as a coach, and then I had Bruce Murray as a coach. So I was fortunate to be coached by strikers who had played professionally. And, and Bruce Murray, 
uh, he ultimately helped me with with my positioning as a striker and, and how to use my body because uh, that is one area that, of my game when I was younger that I really need to improve in how, how to use my body in the in the right instances in the attacking third. And so I give a, a ton of credit to to him in terms of putting me uh, in the box in the right spots, making the right runs near post, the hard near post run, and then just putting your body on the line, right? And and ultimately that's what. Uh, I guess had him pay his price with, with some of the, the traumatic head in, injuries. And I'm very fortunate that I never had to ex, uh, experience um, a head, head injury while playing the game. Now in the car accident I was involved in, in 2009, I had a, a brain bleed, a traumatic uh, brain injury. So, you know, I, I still uh, feel the effects of it today. And, and it's sometimes, you know, it's very subtle to forgetting a, a word that, that I'm looking for. And I have to use every other word, uh, to try and describe the word that I'm looking for. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where when we were younger, you just played the game. And like you said, just be tough, get up, shake it off. You, you can't shake off a brain injury. And, and more people now are understanding that it's, it's, you, you need proper rest and there's protocols in place, but there are still times where you, you know, someone got their, the bell rung. Like you said, you got hit hard. It shook you up. It was, you know, a, a potential concussion, but uh, I, I think I can do it. And they go back out and play or they mm-hmm. pass their tests and they go out and play when they probably shouldn't have. Well, what's interesting is that when I broke my jaw and shout out to Clint Dempsey for <laughs> breaking my jaw, it's a good square hit to my to uh, my orbital bone or to say, uh, I can't even think of the word right now. Think about searching for, for words. But um, when I went off, I couldn't talk. But I, I couldn't talk normally. I knew something was up. But you're in the heat of the moment. You have all this adrenaline. And when I went to talk to the doctors on the sideline, this happened in Boston. I could say enough and mumble enough to say, I'm going to still play. There's nothing you, I'm going to go out there. There's nothing you can do. And that's a tough thing for the doctors who have become your friends. The team doctors have become your friends. Even though they're looking out for you, they still understand that drive and that pull and that ambition for us to want to get back on the field. And and I think as we grew up too, we're probably developing this hero complex of wanting to be the guy and that we're being rewarded for being tough and we're being rewarded for, for, for uh, putting our head in, in or, or any parts of our body into, into areas that could be considered dangerous and, you know, getting a high five for, for whatever it is. And that's a very meaningful thing when you're a younger player and you're, you're looking for that type of validation from your coach. So Heath, any, any, Head injuries for you? Any players that you were around that suffered head injuries besides myself? Because you were on that 2009 Gold Cup team with me that uh, maybe stayed with you in some ways? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I don't have a recollection of any one concussion type of uh, injury. But I remember remember specific moments where I was like, this can't be good. And and I would guess that there's probably a window of time or a few windows of time that I uh, sustained a concussion throughout my kind of youth to adult uh, professional career. But I remember things like working on set pieces, right, for 15, 20 minutes the day before a game and me being the near post space and that crappy set piece taker not being able to beat me at the near post for 25 kicks in a row and every one of them taking them out off the head and off the head and off the head. And after a while, you know, I'm talking about 25, 30 shots to the head in a single training session, right? Of somebody whipping it in with pace and you're doing your best to make good contact at the 
kind of the spot on your forehead that you know is going to have the best response and not and and hurt the least essentially right and i remember thinking going in that day thinking like my head was sore the next day and that was just a single moment and i remember that i was, it was i had just gotten to, uh, to denmark and i shouldn't remember things like that in my career you know because we have so many other uh memories and things that we 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 go through in terms of you know over over your long career but that one stuck out to me as like wow there was still not a ton of information but i just remember thinking about it being like that couldn't have been good for me and it was just about me and i remember getting yelled at being like oh yeah clear it longer clear it deeper clear the lines or you know after like 20 of them i started catching them when they weren't going over going like i don't want to head this anymore and then being accused of not like being able to concentrate on training or do the drill that that was the activity and i, I that was one little anecdote that i remember because you know a lot of it they were talking about how hockey uh rugby uh nfl and soccer within that that Bruce Murray video are seeing the same exact response to CTE. So it's not about the helmet to helmet, you know, basically like two mm -hmm. cars going at 50 miles an hour uh, is what the collision is like in NFL. There is things happening in soccer that aren't necessarily just head to head contact or a knee to the head or a knockout type of thing that that are causing this long sustained damage uh, to the brain, which is which is really sad. And I think about those types of things, and it leaves me fearful. Because I was no different than most other players, Jimmy. You were you were in an extraordinary circumstance, considering you had had su sustained concussions. I think about Chad Marshall as another player uh, with sustained concussions. But but for me, just looking at that and thinking about him and thinking about others that have gone through it, Vermillion especially, you know, it, it's not always I, going to be these diagnosed things, and it's a little bit of a scary thought um, in terms of where the game has been and and for us, and then where it needs to go in order for it to be a little bit more safe. Yeah, I think that, well, first and foremost, you guys know me well enough that I deal with a lot of my issues. And for people listening and watching, you probably, if you've been around me enough, you know, I deal a lot of stress and adversity with humor. But when it comes to this, I'm, I'm scared. I mean, the fact that I don't know when it's going to start for me, given that I did retire because I did suffer these significant head injuries. You know, like Bruce Murray, I probably had, what, six to eight diagnosed concussions, but you might want to double that, you know, 12 to 14 to 16, because I, I just feel like I suffered more. And to your point about doing free kicks in practice, obviously the timing of how to create space on free kicks and on corners and all that are really, really important. So as a coach, you go over it and you go over it and you go over it and you're hoping that the timing gets down and the person that's taking them is going to whip it. Well, I was teammates with Hercules Gomez who just, he, he hits free kicks. There's no love on those things. He hits them as hard as he possibly can to the point where like, I'm not heading that shit. I'm just not heading it. I don't <laughs> care if they're mad at me. I don't care. I'm just, I mean, I'll get to my spot, but I'm not going to head it in practice because he just hits it way too hard. And the times that I scored the most goals in my club career was with Claudio Lopez, with Precky, and with Carlos Marinelli. And all three of those guys put this this delicacy, this this weight of the ball where I could go attack it a little, put it in great spot but always gave me something to work with as opposed to me having to react. Now, here's I want to give some context, uh, Charlie, because U.S. soccer did do something about heading, especially for our younger players. But in August 2014, it had to happen because of a legal issue. A class action lawsuit was filed in the U.S. Uh, District Court of California accusing FIFA, U.S. soccer, and the American Youth Soccer Organization, AYSO, of negligence in dealing with head injuries. The U.S. Soccer Federation responded in 2015 by placing a ban on all headers for athletes aged 10 and under, which I thought was smart. In addition, athletes aged 11 to 13 were only allowed to perform headers in practice. 
The 2015 header ban was also accompanied by an initiative to improve concussion education and the implementation of a more uniform concussion management program for over 3 million participants registered with the YSY, USYSA, which is the Youth Soccer Association. I think that's important, and I think that's going to lead us into a bigger conversation about how the game can change with regard to maybe not having as many headers, Charlie. But where do you think that can happen? Because we had a comment there from Heather Tercio saying heading is such an important part of the game. How do you take that out? Now, I'm kind of happy there's Pep Guardiola's out there that are trying to keep the ball on the ground the whole time, but not everybody can play like that. Mm -hmm. You're right. Uh, you, you can't take it out of the game at the high school, college level. You, you can't because typically, you know, from – are you Let's saying say, we have a bunch of donkeys at that level? <laughs> I was always no, without the ball Charlie anyway. just basically said he was like high school and college players. You, you, and that's you, what I'm picking up. You just can't. I mean, you, you can't take it out. What you can, I guess, address is let's try and focus on playing the ball to players' feet. But ultimately, crossing is a big part of the game. Corner kicks. You can't, you can't take headers out of the game. At the youth level, let's say under 10, you you don't need to touch the ball with your head at all. Mm -hmm. But I think once you get to high school, the, the emphasis on set pieces is really important. And then you're talking about players who are now playing professional at 16, 17. Well, now, look when, how we when, qualified. Look how we qualified what? set pieces. Look how we beat Mexico. Set right. Pieces. So, I mean, you, you can't bring it out of the game. I think it's just educating, 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 and starting at as early as you can for kids to, to know, Hey, these are some of the symptoms you could experience. And it doesn't have to be a hit to the head you, to get a concussion. You don't have to get hit in the head. It could be yeah. one, you know, one of those times where you, you just get blindsided, you fall to the ground. You, you just maybe took a, a shoulder check, but it, it, bolt, it, it messes with your, your head. And I, I think from that perspective of just making sure that not only the players are educated, but the coaches and the trainers and the parents, that I think is the way that you start to uh, move the needle. I, I remember a training for the U.S. team, though, really quick, where I actually went to go slide tackle Josh Wolf, who was kind of in on goal, and I was at an angle, and he cut me. And when he cut back, when I went to go slide, his knee caught me. Listen, I didn't get ankle and knee injuries, everybody. I got I got broken jaws and con concussions, and my head cut open a whole bunch of times. What an idiot! Go ahead, Heath. What are we gonna ask? No, I was going to say is like, you know, when I, when I, Charlie makes a good point of like, you, you, you take out heading and what, what comes of the game, right? What comes of the dimensions of the field? What comes of the, the box? I mean, obviously the whole point of a header on set pieces is to meet the ball at the highest point and out jump or out leap or get to an area that isn't occupied, right? Our bodies are occupying space within the box on the ground to get the ball into a dangerous position. It's really difficult, right? If you were to just, do a, a a session of saying no no headers on and you're going to do set pieces the whole time it's going to be very very hard to score now that doesn't mean the game doesn't evolve into the future of something different but the game is the way we know it would be a very big shift uh in terms of take out set pieces just again the crossing of the ball the the clearances the you know goal kicks everything like that every 50 50 that's coming from a dead ball situation uh, changes and shifts. And I just wonder where you can start to mitigate those risks, right? Is is it is it banning that from training? Is it eliminating it until specialized situations in training? I mean, where is it that you can start to, because again, it's not just the head-to-head -head collision. It's not just a ball meeting your head. Uh, it's the sustained uh, contact with a ball 
and your head over years and years and years and years and years that you're, 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 you're talking about potentially the same exact damage. They're obviously doing more and more studies like that. And it's not always just one big hit, you know, and Jimmy's got eight, he might have 16 concussions, but he might also have take those away. It, it may be the same of just little, you know, kind of death by a thousand cuts type of thing where you've yeah. been, you've been kind of, you know, just jabbed a bunch of times over and over and over into, into a very delicate area. That is your brain. Yeah, that's why I think we see it with more prevalence in the NFL because of those repeated, like every single day they know they're going to have head-to-head uh, collisions where it might not happen. You might have a training where you're not working on that. You might not even have to head the ball. You might not have to do it for a whole week uh, sometimes between games. What I want to say, though, and I think this is really important, and I want to get your two uh, thoughts on this, your opinions, is that you can teach proper heading technique. That's great, and you and you should. Right. You got to get your full body behind it. And obviously you can develop neck and shoulder and, and, and core muscles that are going to help you power the ball. But you two both know that when you go up for a header, you never have a clean jumping up proper technique opportunity. Anytime that I jumped up and I'm going up against the Connor Casey's and Brian Ching's and Brian McBride's dude, I'm going to have to climb all over that guy's back. Right. And he's pushing me at the same time. So all of a sudden we're now both reaching for this header and it, I have no more torso that I can use or any core stability there. All I'm using is my goddamn neck to try to absorb all of that pressure just so I can get a little nudge on it so Brian McBride can't flick it on to where he wants to flick it on. And, and when you start to add those up and you start to absorb the shock of a goal kick where somebody's punting it 60 yards because you have some goalkeepers that can really launch it, it starts to that, – that, I think, starts to add up in a way that makes me a little bit more scared than the, the big obvious ones where you're going to get a lot more attention on that type of stuff. So yeah, you can teach proper technique and you should, but I wonder if you just eliminate goal kicks, how much that would potentially minimize the, the, those types of plays. It's going to be really, really hard to eliminate crossing and and heading on set pieces and and free kicks. Like that's going to be really hard. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to eliminate it, but But that's where I had my two worst. My, my, the one where I got hit with the U S where I got knocked out. And then the, my last ever game when I played for, for Chivas, when I got punched in the back of the head by Matt Pickens, the goalkeeper for Colorado Rapids at the time. Right. He caught me really square because of those situations where you're going to run into a lot more risk because there's a lot more guys in a tight space. I, I would say, you know, for goal kicks, we're seeing, uh, I think, much more um, emphasis on, on keepers playing to, to their center backs, to their outside backs, because players can go in the box now and collect it. So I don't, I don't see, I don't think the volume of goal kicks where we'll, keepers we'll are just booting it. Uh, we're not seeing, I guess, high volumes of that. A lot, a lot more teams are trying to build on the back, which is great. Mm-hmm. I think for for corner kicks and those set pieces where, you know, players are whipping balls in the box and defenders have to do their absolute most to head it out. I don't, I don't see that dropping. Um, it Maybe the keepers coming out to punch. I, I don't think we're seeing that often. I think that you were just very unlucky with the the pickings yeah, uh, yeah. blow to the back of your head, but ultimately, just using your arms, I think, to create that space to to give you more protection. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I would love to see what what the study would show in terms of just let's say it's unimpeded uh, clearances from defenders, those long launching balls or set pieces. If you had five to 10 years of, of just taking balls square, square in the forehead, where you're supposed to do it if, is if there is a, a dramatic effect to it, or, you know, is that, would that be okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
What what about the NFL changes, Heath? I know that the NFL obviously are trying to make some improvements because this is not a good look when all these players and they have a lot of them are suffering from CTE. Yeah, I mean they they've started moving like they originally right they moved the 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 yard line so most kicks are into the end zone and mm-hmm. and things like that where so getting rid of like kickoff returns just, punt returns yeah things where it's just like full speed contact where where and that's not even I don't even know if that's CTE mitigation because that's the long term effect of it but it's more of like again that permanent injury the permanent uh, concussion that could come out of that, the permanent damage that comes out of, you know, helmet to helmet contact at, at both people flying at high speeds. Cause we used to, that was, that, that was part of the game that we loved, right? Big old punt return guy gets up to, or kick return gets up to full speed and gets the layout, right? There's literally media companies have been built out of highlight reels of players getting laid out on these types of uh, things. And, and, and we, we glorify that and we celebrate it because it was originally part of the game. Now we've all obviously all learned, more about and we continue to learn more about as, as, as more and more technology becomes available and, and we can educate ourselves on these types of things. But yeah, I start to think about how can the game be different, right? Are there lines you could put into the game where you're talking about sort of in hockey, you have sort of the three line uh, offside rules, things like that, that are preventing a lot of those sort of long to- long-term things. Cause Jimmy, you talk about it. Your biggest ones came in the box, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is a natural aggression to be able to attack the ball. Well, if you want to stop somebody from attacking that, you've got to grapple with them and you've got to be aggressive to clear the ball. And you're talking about a condensed area where there's only so much room for bodies and heads and things to go flying in, including a goalkeeper who has a little bit more of a free reign to take your head off uh, uh, by accident, right? Uh, and be aggressive by accident and protected in a different way and rightfully so. But I just think about how the game can become different where you're starting to prevent those types of scenarios. So maybe it's situational where, uh, you know, I don't know how you remove set pieces from the game at all, but how can you start to prevent these types of scenarios where it's the classic throw it in the mixer, uh, Mm -hmm. the name of Jimmy's original show, uh, (laughs) uh, throw it into the mixer because you don't know it's it's chaos, right? That was the whole thing. We had the Bash Brothers with the San Jose Earthquakes that were all about – just putting their head where you wouldn't put your foot to, in order to create goal scoring opportunities. That havoc is where it starts to get dangerous. So I'm, I'm wondering if we can analyze those most dangerous moments or most vulnerable moments for players and then build mechanisms around that. Now that ends up probably changing the whole dynamic of the way the game is played and probably doesn't happen because of that. But I'm wondering, are there situational things where it's no longer, you know, there's a certain different line, an offside line or free kicks from certain areas that change the game to where it becomes a little bit more of with your feet than in the air. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine that now, right? Because of the way we've always played it. But uh, I think there is an evolution of every sport over time uh, that, yeah. that that needs yeah. to be taken into account. Sort of the, there's always going to be risk, but can we mitigate some of those risks or minimize? Yeah, some of the we, yeah that, minimize it for goal. sure. Now, last year, there was some research done with, around 8,000 former professional players from Scotland. And they found the risk of goalkeepers developing a neurodegenerative disease was similar to the general population level. So goalkeepers, you're all set and you get to get free punches on people. Now, everybody else out on the field were almost four times as likely as an ordinary member of the public with defenders developing dementia in later life, roughly five times more, which doesn't bode well for me in particular. Hollywood Heath, you wanted to keep that face clean. Doesn't seem like no, you did I, yeah, headers. I never played. I never played defense the, the, either. I was the findings. Just, that's true. <laughs> the findings were the same though for players, regardless of the era in which they competed. So, despite changes in in technology and and head injury management, uh, the study included data on players who played in the 1930s all the way through 
to the 90s. We could argue, Chuck, that that the, it's it's developed even further in terms of that. But I don't think, and 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 we know a friend of ours, Taylor Twan, who also uh, had some significant head injuries and and is, is has a great initiative uh, with with concussion, concussion protocol. Excuse me. He he is trying to advocate for, and I don't know why this hasn't been done sooner, especially remember when we had three subs and then we went to five because of the pandemic and everybody was like, this is going to ruin the game. This is the worst thing ever. And now five subs is being adopted because it feels really smart and, and really the right thing to do. Do you think there should be a concussion sub allowed so that there is an injury? Because it's so hard for, and I've already talked about it and gave an example of doctors on the side to be able to evaluate players quickly to know. Now I know there's some technology coming in where you can do something with the eyesight. You can see what, where, where they are very quickly in terms of how their brain is reacting to different things. It's almost on the, the outside looking in, which would be really cool. And I wish I had that when we were playing, but do you think a concussion sub is something the game should have? And, and I don't understand why people are pushing back on it. Cause it seems like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it does make a lot of sense. I mean, you you want to have this sport continue to progress and be the main sport in America. And that's what we've all pushed for because we've gotten to travel the world and we've got to experience how this is one of those sports that builds bridges and and uh, I think allows you to to experience new cultures and and it's a, it's a game that is so inviting and and inclusive. So I think the only way that you can continue to make this sport safe and inclusive is by adopting the, the concussion rule because we, we want people to be healthy. We want people who have played the game that when they're in their 60s and 70s and 80s, they can still walk around. They can still, you know, they still can live a long, healthy life and, and be advocates of the sport. So I, I'm always for, for um, the concussion substitution rule. Okay, and by the way, good. Jimmy, on, on, on that – on that, you know, MLS Next Pro just launched some new rules themselves, one of which is the off-field treatment rule, meaning if you have medical treatment come onto the field, you're forced to stay off the field a minimum of three minutes. And so, obviously, there's two things to that. One, there's the gamesmanship, right, the the sportsmanship that we know happens when you're trying to, to run out a game. But there is actually ample time now for a medical staff to be able to potentially examine as opposed to like look left look right how do you feel take you off for 30 seconds you're now forced to stay off for three minutes of match time uh if if medical treatment comes on now i don't know what the effects of that if that means people are not willing to go down uh even more now because they know that they'll have to come off i know there's a reason for that but ultimately it does give somebody who has their quote-unquote bell rung or gets any sort of head injury because we know that it's an instant stoppage of play now. If if the ref perceives it as a head injury or a head contact or collision of some kind, the ref stop it immediately as opposed to playing advantages and other things. He's he's meant to blow his whistle, but now being forced off the field for three minutes. Do you think, Jimmy, in your in your uh, experience, that that's something worthwhile or valuable? Because it is going to be baby steps. You can't just go in and say, "Hey, we're, yeah. we're getting rid of uh, we're getting rid of set pieces. Uh, there's no more heading the ball in the game." But there are small steps that you can take towards learning more uh, and 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 mitigating even the the risks of of what currently takes place, right? Which is players going on the field in an unsafe environment after getting a uh, a concussion or or what's perceived as a non-concussion. It's it's it feels like this is more of a delicate topic than it should be. I mean, it's it, given all the research that's coming out. And on the girls' side as well, there's been reports in a journal Pediatrics back a couple of years ago mentioning that girls actually get concussions twice as many or twice as much as boys do in high school. 
and uh, but that's not the, that's not all from headers no no it's not it's right. not because then because uh, then you could really just go oh well what about 50 50 challenges are we going to take that out of the game because right right you know you could go down the list of how other how players are getting concussions you know boots to the head yeah right. you know um especially especially at that age where i think you're still trying to figure out how to use your body right, right. a lot there's a lot of uncontrollable or players that just run but don't know necessarily how to run or how to protect themselves and and so yeah that's that's a very good point i'm glad you brought that up because high school soccer was harder to play than any level that i ever played at because the moves don't work you can do a step over that person's not moving they're gonna still stand right there they don't bite on that because they, <laughs> they, they didn't even see it charlie they didn't even oh, see it yeah. they didn't even see it like yeah the 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 the, the gap in levels is, is quite big uh, in high school and the, figuring out a way i think it's still an important thing just to sidebar for our best players to play high school because they, they learn leadership qualities in terms of how do I get the most out of this player when he can only do A and B and not, you know, A through Z. So that was just, and I, and that's, I think it's kind of a disappointing that we don't have our, our top players learning how to develop those types of skill sets. The, the, Jimmy the, wants to mandate the, the, all the players moves. play high school soccer. Jimmy yeah, wants to mandate I'm just, that all youth national team players play oh high school gosh. soccer. The, the moves. I think there's value and, in it. That's all I'm saying. those not doing anything for defenders. Like, I can't tell you how many step overs I did where the player just stood there. And, oh, and yeah. That's, that's in college, too. I mean, <laughs> my, my college practices at BC might have been some of the most difficult practices because these defenders would not move at any time I did a move. And I would get so frustrated. I'm like, you can't defend. You're just standing there. <laughs> but, but it worked. Um, so yeah, I, I can, I can completely vibe Man, with you on that. Heath. I might've, I might've played more world cups if I just learned how to stand there when Charlie was doing <laughs> it. So, so with regard to your point, Heath, I don't know in your question, I don't know what the right answer is to, to mitigate this, but I do think that there might be these little rules, as you mentioned, three minutes or, or these little things that we can do to just think about it. I think as long as there's a conversation, everybody understands the risk and, and understands how these things happen. It's going to be really for me on set pieces. It's going to be impossible to to just to, to Charlie's point. Like, how do you get that out of the game? It's it it's such a huge part of how teams have success. I mean, World Cups have been won or lost on set pieces, and that's not going to change. We talk about Zidane. You know, obviously the guy's one of the best players of all time with his feet, but he scored two headers in a World Cup final against Brazil. I mean, you know, that's I don't know. It's just a different. Well, part you might of not be able to get rid of. Yeah, you might not be able to get rid of set pieces and things like that that would lead to like sort of high high impact situations. But there probably are steps along the way that you could mitigate the, again, some of the sustained, like the leveling of the playing field, which is the three of us outside of Jimmy's obvious concussions have probably, and, and I'm sure Jimmy more than us as a central defender where 40 times in a game, someone hits a long goal kick and you've got to go up and part of your job in which you are judged is to win that first ball, right? Is to win the yes, knock, like yes, win the course, ball for your team. And therefore you're scrapping for it, which increases the odds of one head to head, but two, that uh, type of, yeah, yeah uh, uh, that type of impact. But there are, there must, there's gotta be some sort of things along the way that you can start to eliminate or alter that so, can at least decrease uh, risk. So, okay. Let's put our dad hats on then really quick. My, my kids are a little bit older than yours for both of you guys. When my kids play, I tell them don't head the ball. I, do I feel like a bad dad for saying that? Absolutely not. Should I? I mean, from a competitive standpoint, they should probably learn how to be somewhat aggressive. And and I have two girls. So so I, without even knowing this research that I just found prior to the podcast about females getting 
more concussions than boys. And and part of the reasoning they say is maybe neck muscles and some of it's biological. Some of it is a lot of these boys have been kind of getting knocked down their whole lives because they've just been kind of rough and tumble the whole time and they know how to kind of absorb a hit, whereas the girls maybe don't have that same type of experience. But I, I, I don't care if you judge me or not. I just tell my girls, don't head the ball. Is I'll there a ton of heading? Properly. Is there a ton of heading there, happening? There at isn't that age? a lot of heading, but when the situation comes, I'm like giving them a high five. When they, they do don't the turtle, back. like straight up. Yeah, they do the Chris the Klein back. turtle. Chris Klein was famous <laughs> back in the day. He did the turtle. turtle head where he looks like he's going to go for the header and then he drops his head down. And you can't see his neck anymore. You know? So, I so I, I don't know. Kenny I don't know Cooper what you got. What are you guys going to say to your kids when they get it old enough to play? Oh, don't let him catch it. Charlie, Charlie, I'll come to you. Charlie, what are you going to tell your, your, your kids when they start playing? Did you or see Charlie's kids? Like- Did you see Charlie's kids on the water on the water slides this weekend? Well, they were I'm doing sure their quads are already bigger than my quads. They were doing but- flips all the way down it. Charlie's got <laughs> Charlie's got some ornery kids, man. Those kids are busy. Charlie's trying to keep them off the roof. Yeah, they're they're, they're active. Um, in terms of heading, we don't practice heading at all, and I don't I don't think I would tell them not to head. I, I would try to tell them keep the ball at your feet, and we're gonna try and. You know, kids at their age, they're not doing crossing. There's no corner kicks mm-hmm. or, or goal kicks. So for, for six-year-old boys, it is f- solely focusing on dribbling and movement, not anything to do with the head. I think probably when they get to club soccer and, and, and let's say when they're 10, 11, 12, that's probably when it starts to pick up. I, w- I would teach them how I, how I learned and, and just protecting yourself that the ball will come to your head. If you, if you have to head it, you can go and head it, but I probably wouldn't say don't head it whatsoever. You know, I do understand where you're coming from. You probably don't need to head the ball all that much. You know, how often is the ball going up? But in terms of like getting on the end of crosses and hard and low, baby hit it hard and low. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's difficult. I don't think I would tell them not to head the ball. I, I think I would show them the correct way to head the ball, the proper way and how to protect yourself. Right. But I would, I would ultimately say, try not to, to get mixed up in, in those aerial duels, you know, you and this is how you do it. Yeah. I would say I'm, 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 I'm the same as that. I think it's inevitable at a certain level of now, if my kids end up being like proper rec players, then I'm like, no, don't head the ball. What's the, right. What's the difference? <laughs> right. But at a certain level of, uh, of, of competitiveness, I think there may be an altering and I, I'm not there yet, but there may be an altering in the way in which I, I see the need to compete. Now that's not what, what I think putting them at extreme risk, but certain circumstances, I would say if, if it's the right circum, like I would try to, I don't know, teach that type of moment within the level of competitiveness. But if they're playing rec, I'm got I've got them, in, you know. I, I'm, I'm I've got them in a football helmet, you know. I mean, like, it's not it's it's oh, it's not worth it. But I think that the, as the game gets faster and quicker and the gaps close, like it's going to be harder for them to feel almost uh, equal or capable at, at a higher level if they feel like they are potentially letting their teammates down or putting the team at risk. Uh, I don't want them afraid of the ball either. On, no, yeah. you don't want them to be afraid of the ball. I don't there want them afraid be, of the ball. There's an attitude, right, to how you approach the ball. Whether you're going to trap it with your chest or your thigh or you're going to head it, you still want to go there with that type of energy that I'm going to do something with this ball. I'm going to make a difference and make it difficult for the opponent. 
All right, one last thing I want to add to this, and then we'll take our first and only break, and then we'll talk about Tyler Adams and everybody else on the other side of it. Ooh. Researchers have known for several years that female athletes experience higher rates of concussions than their male counterparts, which is important for me as a girl dad. There's also some evidence that girls may take longer than boys to recover from concussions. And last, uh, or a couple of years ago, women's, uh, there's some top pros, Alex Morgan, uh, Michelle Akers, Brandi Chastain, Megan Rapino, Abby Wambach. Also, they were so concerned about these research findings that they pledged to donate their brains to science. That's how important this is, especially on the female side of the game. And I wonder how that type of research will impact how that game is played moving forward, especially because the women Euros are going on right now. All right, we're going to take our first and only break. When we come back, as I just mentioned, we're going to talk a little Tyler Adams, a little Christian Pulisic, and anything else you want to get into in the comments right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer We Trust. If you're a fan of this podcast, hit us up on Twitter. First and foremost, drop us a follow there, ISWT Pod. We'd appreciate that. But also, we've been nominated for an award. So go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and go nominate us for the 2020 let's get this podcast award. awards. Check us out in the sports category and let's make that happen. We want some awards. We want to be decorated. We and want to hey, be and they're voting. Their voting matters. Their voting matters. That's voting matters. It matters. It matters. And we just want to win one more trophy in our lives. Can everybody just understand that we want to yes, add another trophy please. to our cabinet? Please make that happen. All right, so let's talk and pivot now to some fun news. And we appreciate you guys and all the thoughtful comments about the real talk we had about heading in the beautiful game. And I'm sure that conversation will continue in the future. But Charlie, I'm going to come to you first. Tyler Adams to Leeds is official. And at the same time, Calvin Phillips left, which opens up that void in that spot of the field for Leeds to go to Manchester City. How big of a move is this for Tyler Adams first and foremost? And then we can talk about Leeds overall. Massive. It is a massive move and probably i don't think too many people saw that happening because of the drop off this year with tyler adams and in, in, at rb leipzig he just fell out of favor with the with the manager that's mm -hmm. that's just mm -hmm. how it goes and and that's europe in a nutshell a, a manager can make or break your career at that club it's that simple so i think it was a good learning year because he was coming off of a year where he was scoring in Champions League. He was the guy. He was mm -hmm. everyone was looking at him. Arsenal was interested. Now he's at Leeds. And you're playing for a manager that you've already played for. That a manager that believes in you, that trusts in you and is bringing you to the club. I love this move because he's playing in the Premier League. We're playing England in the World Cup. Right. It, it's that experience against the top level players and a lot of players that he's going to see in the World Cup. Now, I think from the perspective of the U.S. men's national team, Tyler Adams has to improve on the ball. 
But when you're playing in the Premier League, yes, you got to be on the ball, but he's he's going to be solely focused, especially in that type of, of style and tactics that Jesse Marsh is going to play at Leeds United. It's high pressure, high volume, ball winning, get it off your feet. It's not so much, hey, we're going to get on the ball and, and keep possession and, and, and teams are going to be sitting back. Teams right. are going to be, be coming at them. When you're playing in the U.S., especially against CONCACAF teams, more than more than not, you are the team dictating the tempo and holding the ball. And they need Tyler Adams to break the lines and 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 be good in possession and controlling the tempo. Not not at Leeds. He's going to be cover as much distance as you can, win the ball back, and and get going. So I like the fact that he's just in that environment every day. And you know, it's he's going to be pushed. He is going to be pushed. Okay, and and. That's something that we want, Heath. We also want him to get minutes, though. Do you think it's going to happen? Yeah. Or does Jesse Marsh is the third time playing for him, played for him at Red Bulls. Jesse Marsh was an assistant at RB Leipzig, played for him there, and now he plays with him at Leeds. I mean, we, we know that Jesse's going to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him every chance to take that spot and make it his own. But if you don't play well, maybe in that first game or two, pressure uh, pressure's he, pressure. He's a longer leash than that. Uh, okay, that's for fair. For 20 that's million, fair. longer leash than that. Okay, and I hope, and I hope that's the case. I, right. I definitely want... Tyler playing as much as humanly possible. What do you think about this move overall since it's been American after American after American coming to Leeds? Yeah, I, I love it also. You know, if I'm Jesse Marsh, I got to go with the few things that I know I can control. And when you look at Brendan Aronson, when you look at Tyler Adams, both coming through a system that Jesse Marsh is most comfortable with and the way in which he believes they will be successful in the Premier League, I do think that there is an element of the gigging press that works or will work in the Premier League and having players that are committed to that. We know when the national team uh, tries to press, they don't do it all together. They don't do it well. It's a national team and they're trying to play a high press system. But a club team, when you can work on that, you can work on the triggers. You need a few of those players that by any means know exactly what to tap into and know to default back into that type of system. So I love that for Tyler Adams. The other thing that I wanted to add, because I think Charlie covered it really well, is that what I also love about the American player now is Tyler Adams falls out of favor at RB Leipzig, right? Mm -hmm. Normally, that would default into that player needing to go to a smaller club to get minutes. Mm -hmm. But now we're seeing a respect for a quality player because you go back two years, Tyler Adams is, is the hero and, and he's been a consistent starter. And then at times he's been a squad player in and out of the lineup that his next move is at least lateral, if not uh, Better. vertical. Better. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and so in terms of, yeah, they're not playing Champions League, but they're playing a Champions League opponent probably every single weekend or a Champions League quality opponent every single weekend. So for him personally, I think it's great. I think the, for the respect of the players to now go from like, oh, it's not working here. We would have said it would have been more of like a Zach Steffen type thing, right? Not playing at City has to go to, uh, go, go, well, what looks like go to the championship or go to a smaller, much smaller club to get their minutes. That was the view of the American player. And then they maxed out, they ceiling somewhere. And then the next move had to be backwards. It couldn't be, another move either laterally or or even better and i think that for tyler adams is a sign of his quality and the trust and belief that i think obviously it helps that jesse marsh is there but uh it just i i think that's just a good sign of the respect for the american player at the moment is that even if they fall out it's because of a, uh, it's not because of quality it's because of a system it's because there was another player that was maybe a higher quality based on what that manager thought and that their services are still respected elsewhere at the same level not high now charlie how much pressure does this put on these players in particular, there's obviously going to be, I don't even need to read it on Twitter to know that there's going to be Leeds fans going, uh, we got to rely on another yank to help us win anything. We're totally going to get relegated. Bring back Bielsa and bring uh, back whoever. Yeah. Stop, now there's already stop, been stop examples of Jack Harrison. who's already on their team 
had most of his experience playing in college in the U.S., playing in MLS, and came over and has done very well for Leeds. I think he's an example who, yes, he might not be an American, but he went and had the American experience who's already proven that he can do well. We all know what Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams are capable of. We know what Jesse Marsh is capable of, and we're all full faith in them. But there's a lot of work for these guys to continue to break that ceiling and, and change the perception of American players. And there's a lot of pressure there, which I actually welcome. And I hope that they absolutely see it as a positive as well, Charlie, because I think that's only going to bode well for us to handle high pressure situations in the world cup and beyond. Well, Charlie, real quick, I, did your, did your all boys boarding school that you went to play against Jack Harrison's when he was in the U S just in terms of like uh, the boarding school, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine was co-ed. Uh, that's one. And two, okay. Uh, okay. It, the school that he went to wasn't quite, up to the level of oh wow at, at that time at that time but uh um, but as probably yeah. as wealthy same, though i would say yeah i would say if you're looking at this from a subjective point of view then you're saying man you have bren aronson and tyler adams who who are both brought in who are going to play that whether you like it or not as a leeds fan they are going to play and right. you have to, and you, you're backing Jesse Marsh, so you think his system is going to work with this group, and so he wants the players to make this system work. Great, mm -hmm. but Tyler Adams, I think, is is my biggest concern for Tyler Adams is not his his work rate or his tactics or his ta technique or distribution. It's being healthy. Can you survive the next six months in the prem? Because we all know it's a grind. You, you're playing in all these competitions. You're constantly playing. If he can not get injured and not go through some of those, those muscular injuries that we've seen him have, then yeah. that's, that's the big win for me to go right. through half the year at Leeds United playing because he's going to be playing consistently right. and cut to come out unscathed and ready to go with, with the world cup. Oh man, I, I am pumped. I'm buzzing. And a lot of player uh, people I've seen in the chat saying, this is, this isn't a, a better move. Like RB Leipzig would wipe the floor with leads. I, one, I don't think, they would wipe the floor with, Le with leads, and two, it's a better move because you're going to a better league. You're yeah, going right. To a better competition. Right. That's that's that that's what I'm impressed about. What Heath, Heath is talking about. You're never going to a better league in the in the past if you're not playing in the Bundesliga. You're going to Bundesliga two. You're going to Denmark. Right. You're going. You're not. You're not going to the Premiership because you'd be like, oh, you think you're gonna come to the Premier Premier League if you're not playing in Germany? No chance. So that is why we're so excited because that is an improvement. You're going to a better league. Yeah, maybe the club is not better because you're not playing in Champions League, but you're playing against you're still playing against Manchester United twice a year, Arsenal twice a year, yeah. Tottenham, Man City, Liverpool. You're playing against those teams twice a year. That's incredible. So I, I'm I'm all for it, but we also have to be mindful of the pressure is going to be immense, and Tyler Adams is going to be asked to do a lot in that system, and yeah. so. Um, it'll be, I think it'll be a great test. And, and I'm, and I, I'm a believer of Tyler Adams. I mean, he, he's an really important to our success. And if he does well, I mean, I, I think that opens the doors for, for more Americans. I mean, if, if he's had champions league opportunities with RB Leipzig and he would have this upcoming season as well, but he wasn't necessarily being the first choice. So all of a sudden you got Conrad Lamer who was being selected over him and, and playing well to the point where he was getting scouted by some big clubs uh, around Europe. He goes to Leeds and goes to arguably a better league and now looks to start. I mean, that for me is a fantastic move. And, and 
uh, I'm, I'm all for it. And hopefully he, he, he proves this well, but again, to everybody, your thoughts and some thoughts we're seeing in the chat as well with regard to his distribution. I mean, can Jesse Marsh help him kind of extend his passing range and, and the weight of his passing and, and that type of little things that I think will only bode well for the U.S. men's national team. That'll be, I think, his biggest challenge. I think he's got everything else. He ticks so many boxes. He's going to be fine. And I think he's going to thrive with the speed and, and, and the speed of the game of, of, of the Premier League. That's not going to be any problem for him to adapt. It's just probably like, how quick can you make those decisions? How quickly can you, okay, plan mm -hmm. A is not available. How quickly can you pivot to plan B and what is plan B? That's going to be the big challenge for him and, and for a lot of players that are adapting and moving to a different league. All right, let's talk about another U.S. men's national team player who's in a little bit of an opposite situation with Raheem Sterling coming in from Manchester City to Chelsea. And the crappy part about Raheem Sterling is that he plays on the left side of a 4-3-3, which is exactly where Christian Pulisic plays mm. for Chelsea. Now, Christian Pulisic, due to injury and, and Thomas Tuchel not always being his best friend, only started 13 games in the Premier League last year, added another four starts in the Champions League. And he had games where he was man of the match, and he had games where he didn't do all that much. Heath, I'll come to you first on this. What does this mean for Christian Pulisic? Because apparently Juventus have shown some interest, and from what I understand, Chelsea's rebuffed that interest. AC Milan is also being thrown out there as a team that would be interested in taking Christian Pulisic. I don't think any of these teams can afford paying 40 $50, 60000000 or whatever Chelsea would try to recoup from him uh, for him. But maybe he could go out on loan. And I'm curious to see if Chelsea would do that. I don't think it would be in the Premier League. I think it would be in a different league. Talk to me about this Christian Pulisic situation because with Raheem Sterling coming in and them trying to get other players in the winger spot, it's clear that Thomas Tuchel doesn't think that Pulisic is his answer. Yeah, it's hard because I think sometimes we look through the new ownership group knowing that it's an American ownership group and what that could mean. Uh, and by the way, we're going to be – we're going to have um, – Mason Mount on on in soccer we trust uh, very oh, very yeah, soon. Baby. I'm gonna ask, yeah. we're gonna make sure that we get those questions in for him to ask him what it means for maybe not the hard hitting ones, but we'll get him some from from everyone <laughs> around Christian Pulisic and the relationship there and 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 his impact on on the club. But I do think that there's probably a move this summer if the number is right. The hard part is is like you said, Jimmy, the the cost of Christian Pulisic is a significant summer transfer, and I think that he was buying or bought at the peak of the market. And that's going to be hard, hard to recoup and hard for uh, Chelsea to say, hey, we're going to let him go for a discount, knowing that he's an American guy and American ownership. I think some of those things create a recipe that makes it very difficult to move him. But if you are Christian Pulisic, you're kind of seeing the writing on the wall that while well, you've had to compete every single day for your spot anyway, because when he came in, they signed seven or eight players and they were, they've all been competing for uh, two positions on the field. Not seven or eight, mm -hmm. but say four players competing for two positions. Um on the field. And I'll think he'll continue to, to fight for that until, until the end. I do think that there, there needs to be a move uh, for him and there's going to have to be some sort of agreement. Cause I don't think he's going to get 60 million. And I don't think if he, if he, if he's got to go for 20 less than that, that Chelsea are going to look at that as, as like a, Hey, let's uh, let's move him on the way, especially because he's American. So I think it's a tough situation uh, for him to be in and outside of premier league clubs. I mean, who can spend that anyway? Right? Like there's not a lot of clubs uh, around the world that are that can spend that on a, on a player, regardless of the quality they have. What's interesting, Charlie, is that Everton just lost for Charleston to Tottenham. So that's an area where Christian Pulisic could go to Everton and potentially do something with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And, and his, da his, dad, his dad did tweet and say he loves the city. You know, remember <laughs> he, when he put out that post? He about, did. Uh, he did. That's right. His dad chiming in as uh, his his PR. But, but do you think that Christian, I, I don't know him well, mm -hmm. but... Do you feel like 
he wouldn't maybe take an opportunity because it's a step down, even though he might get more uh, more minutes playing there and be more of a vital player for that particular team, like he is with the U.S. Yeah. Men's national team. If I if I were him, I would not make the move to Everton. If you told me, I just use that as an example. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, in terms of where you are, you've won Champions League. You're at the top of the top, and you feel like you should be playing. the The problem is, you bring in Raheem Sterling. You you are signaling to the group that Christian Pulisic is not a starter on this team because you value Christian Pulisic and Mason Mounts on the other side. So he's not playing. And then you throw in Kai Havertz, you throw in Timo Werner, who they've used a lot over, over Christian as of late. Um, So I think in, in my opinion, he would only go to a club of, of a certain stature. And mm-hmm. I would I would feel that way. I, I mean, you're throwing in Bayern Munich's of the world. You're throwing in, you know, the top Serie A teams, the top La Liga teams. You're not going to a, a Prem club that is below Champions League level. That, that's just not happening we, if, if I'm in his shoes. We've seen some players, though. Let's say Romelu Lukaku, who started mm-hmm. at Chelsea, then went to Everton, then went to, what, Manchester United, and then to Inter Milan, back to Chelsea, now back to Inter. But but we've seen players sometimes at that level. That, Take that step back to take you know a couple steps forward. So it's yeah. not unheard of, especially if he goes out on loan. Like it's clearly just on. We need this guy playing minutes. He's and we've already mentioned this before. He's one of the rare players, Charlie, that I think doesn't matter if he's playing or not at the club mm-hmm. level. He's still going to play for the U.S. Like yes. that's how important he is for us. But we don't need a not very sharp Christian Pulisic showing up at the with the world. No, club. that's for us, right? I think for for the fans, for the supporters, you want Christian Pulisic playing. And playing in the prem because it's the best league in the world. And if he's getting consistent minutes, that that means he's going to be sharp for Qatar. Yes, but if you're in his shoes, you said I've always had to prove myself. I, no one's ever given me the benefit of the doubt. He's always feels like everyone's out to get him. At least that's what it looks like from the outside. No one's ever handing him a starting spot. He's had to fight for it. So in his mind, why wouldn't I fight my way back into this team too? I've done it before. I can do it again. And if if he's as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to play. He's going to play his way into the team as long as he can stay healthy. Um, and then in terms of Lukaku, he made that move to Everton because he hadn't proven himself yet. That's fair. Christian's proven himself. That's fair. The, the Premier League. I mean, we've seen the the matches that he had against Manchester City, against Liverpool, where he's been a standout. He's he's proven. So he doesn't have to make that backward step just to show, hey, I can do it in the Prem. If you said, oh, he's got to go to Inter Milan or AC Milan or Atletico Madrid, or, you know, then you say, oh, he's just going to a Champions League club, a top club in a different league. But I wouldn't want to see him take three steps back. I, I, do, do, I would love, what about you, though, Heath? What would you say about you? Because Paulo Dybala just left. You have Chiesa, yeah. who's not back to full health. He won't be until after the World Cup because he's, well, Italy's not in it anyway. This might dig on Italy for today. Oh, but, boy. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I would be okay with him going to Juve. Obviously, he'd be there with Weston McKinney and would, would already have someone there that he could trust and, and make that transition a little bit more seamless. But it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, even though I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, I could see him at, at Juve. When I, weirdly, his situation at Chelsea is just the fact that they signed all these players around the same age with the same depth and never had that sort of security. Now, you go to a Juventus or if he was at an Arsenal or if he was at another club... Um, I think whatever Everton you're maybe competing with one other person at the level of Christian Pulisic Chelsea just happened to have five of them 
right? Most other clubs don't have five. If you went down the clubs, even in the Premier League, Manchester United, or, uh, okay, Man City obviously has it. But if you went beyond that, you're not looking at a depth chart that Christian Pulisic has had to compete with, whether that's Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Mason Mount uh, in the earlier days. And he's had to break down those barriers over and over again and get himself back into the lineup. Very few clubs have that level of depth around the same age and the same semi same profile without sort of the style of play identity attached to that. So I think a Juventus, he would be fine. And he's at a very low risk of, of having two other players in his exact spot. There's I, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but I can't think of a number of other clubs that are champions league quality clubs uh, that have the depth to just bury him in the way that he sort of got buried at times at, at Chelsea in terms of, it might not even just be uh, you know, it could be Timo Werner. Now it could be, Kai Havertz for a bit. It was again, I go back two years and it was Mason Mount in the same position. You have all these players in these positions that, of course, you're always going to have challenges, but I can't think of another club where it wouldn't be at least him or somebody else competing for that spot all the time. And yeah. I like Christian Pulisic's odds in most situations uh, to win out that spot. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation to keep our eyes on. So obviously, we will keep you up to date on everything that's happening. And if any big news drops, we will have an emergency in Soccer We Trust podcast. You can count on that. All right. Before we call it a show today, Charlie, I'm coming to you first. Mm -hmm. Final thoughts, and maybe you want to give it to, to the USU 20s for winning the CONCACAF championship and qualifying for the U20 World Cup next year and also maybe I do. qualifying for the Olympics. That's where I was going to go, but I'll let you go first, Chuck. Well, I'm not going to steal it if that's what you're going to do, but no, no, I'm going to say, take no, I'm going to say big congratulations to the under 20 side going to the World Cup for the under 20s, but you're also qualified for the Olympics. Massive. Haven't done it since my Olympics, so let's go. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to touch on is is Bale going to LAFC. Mm, big one. It's it's massive for American defenders. You're going. You, you get a good look at what Gareth Bale can do. It's almost like you're taking the shock factor out out of of the equation when you go to Qatar. You know how he moves. You know how he plays. Yep. yep. For for Walker Zimmerman, I think he gets probably his first game against Gareth Bale. Yeah. I mean, that's that's Good incredible. Point. That's that's, that's what we want. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. This is this is Wales. He fell I mean, into our trap. Way to go, Gareth. <laughs> yeah. Bale. So so I love it that we are getting a taste. A lot of the players who are ultimately going to have to face him in Qatar are getting to get a taste of him um here in MLS. So awesome. Um and I I I'm a big fan of the Tyler Adams move just because he's he's going to the prime time and he's going to get a chance to to see a lot of the players he's also going to be playing against in Qatar. So I'm, I'm on the hype train. And also, let's get Zach Steffen's loan approved already because yes, it hasn't gone it's through. So long. Um, it needs to happen. Yeah. And my onesie, my onesie's on point. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to Nike onesies. I, I think Charlie <laughs> just set a record for final thoughts today. Uh, yeah. he, yes. How, how many final thoughts do you have for us? Uh, mine, mine isn't the U20s because Charlie mentioned it. Mine's the Philadelphia Union, guys. I mean, you we're talking about Brennan Aronson move this summer. People saying Paxson Aronson is the next to go to RB Salzburg and his move there. And he's not even a starter on the Philadelphia Union. Jim Curtin, you need to be starting play the, play the kids because you got look the how golden good they ball, were in by the way. It's the yeah. best player, yeah. Paxson Aronson. Uh Quinn, uh Quinn Sullivan, also another top player. Brandon Craig, who's not going to get the love because he's a defender. Jimmy, you know what that's like, was mm -hmm. unbelievable. Another player that's probably going to force, I think, would be a trade for the back line of Philadelphia Union, which is one of the best in the league. The back six of Philadelphia Union is what's keeping them afloat. And you've got this kid who's a great passer of the ball and, and, and wonderful talent. But can, that's what I'm he saying. He play over Jack Elliott. Yeah, I mean, th that, that back line, Jack Elliott's pretty good. Yeah. Lesnar's pretty good. That's solid. a really strong, he's strong solid. back line. But, he, but now you've got the play. value in it. Yeah. 
You got easy. Now, now you got the ability to trade one of those players who have high value in the league right now for a really good back line. And so shout out to them for the way that they're doing it. Obviously I'm, I'm, I'm close to that, but I think it's a unique example because those players are not elite, elite athletes. And I think that's really cool that you're seeing a player development coming out of that. We're seeing them in the news on the U20s. We're seeing big moves now with, with Brendan Aaronson and the leads. And I think that's a good sign of things to come for the clubs in major league soccer and USL that are really focusing on player development. I think the fruition of that is a validator and others are going to follow in the footsteps of that. That's one final thought, add, but it was a long No, one. that's a great final thought. It was, it I was love, good. I, I, love, I, I love that final thought. It was very, thank very you. eloquent. Hey, hey guys, thank add, you. You're welcome. You're welcome. What I'll add is, for everybody that doesn't know, when our team plays in the Olympics in 2024, you can add three overage players. Oh, we didn't and even get into head this conversation. Coach, if, oh, no, well, we'll get to it eventually at some point. But all I want to say with my final thoughts is, if it's not me, Heath, and Charlie, U.S. soccer, you're doing it wrong. So thank you for listening to In Soccer We Trust. We appreciate your support. Drop us a follow at ISWT Pod Jamie on Lee. the Twitter. Julia so on behalf C. of producer Dez, producer Alex, <laughs> Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, Hollywood Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad saying thank you for listening <laughs> and watching. And we'll see you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. 1 p.m. Eastern. Let it.